Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, before we do anything else, just look at one of the cameras back there and wave to our family over there in England. They're worshiping with us up there. There's a camera. Send blessings to the back. Joe and John and the family that gathers there to worship the Lord. Isn't God good? So good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's so good to see so many of you. Amen. And, uh, and to see you doing well. God is just amazing. An amazing God continually blesses us and, uh, and just provides for us. If you woke up this morning, you have a reason to praise. Amen. If you made it through, I know the F train wasn't running, the D train wasn't running, the Williamsburg Bridge was closed, the FDR Drive was shut down, and they blew up the Kosciuszko Bridge, and your elevator wasn't working, the incinerator was out, and you couldn't flush the toilet this morning, all that. And then you're here, and you look down, you have a blue sock on and a red, red, red. All of that. What else could go wrong? But you're here. You made it. You made it. Hallelujah. And you look fantastic. You look like nothing's going on in your life. Like you have, the wind is blowing in the right direction. Everything is just hunky-dory. Amen. I know. Look at me and say, Pastor, if you only knew. No, don't tell me not today. Today's Sunday. Make an appointment and we'll talk. <laughs> God is fantastic. Are you breathing? Amen. So there's reason to, you know, in the 60s, 1960s, uh, I think it was 62, if I'm not mistaken. The uh, U.S. government uh, enacted a ruling that kicked prayer out of the schools. Remember that? And since then, through the decades, the church has been complaining. That's the reason why. But it's still fascinating to me, because you and I know believers, that they don't even pray when they eat. Call a prayer meeting, they don't show up. Here's a, here's a paper, pray for me. And often, to, and I make that point to make the following statement, and that is we, we fight, 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 fight for something, and then in reality, our words aren't backed up by action. My heart is continuously grieved at how the church for years has talked about the importance of marriage, sanctity of marriage, and from pulpits, we have you know, heard it preached and taught. It's the, the metaphoric model of the Christ and his church. It's a covenant, cannot be amended. It's you know, all these things. And yet, it is no secret that the highest numbers, both externally uh, mapped and internally mapped as well, the highest numbers of divorce are inside of the church. And even worse, on the pulpit. So we, we, we push, 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 push for issues and items that we think are important. And yet, when it comes to the doing of it, oh, we kind of say, you know, blame other things. Uh, and I could keep giving you examples, but I think you get it. That's why today what I want to do is I want to preach a sermon titled, Work the Walk. Work the Walk. If you look at the epistles, and today I'm going to use as an example Philippians, but if you look at any of the, the epistles found in the 27 books of the New Testament, and epistles are simply letters and um, and there were letters written. Uh, none of the epistles that Paul wrote, you know, whether it's Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, none of them, uh, were written to non-believers. They were all written to people of faith. They were all written to the church, if you will. Now, it wasn't called a church during that time. It was really called several things, one of them being the, the people of the way. 
because many of them still, there was some conflicting going on in their hearts because they still felt part of, for example, the epistle to the Hebrews. They still felt that they were Hebrew, but following the way. So it wasn't really called the church. The church became the church in the book of Antioch, really, when it was finally called uh, the church. So he, the, the epistles, when we read them, this one in particular, are, are really admonitions to the church. It's really counsel to the church. It's really advice to the church. It isn't about coming to faith with, and coming to terms with God and your own carnality and all of that and then responding to an altar call. No, we, we oftentimes will preach from the epistles and teach from the epistles and, you know, God by his grace, someone is reached to receive Christ as Savior. But really the intent of the author and pushing through the work of the Holy Spirit through these fragile vessels, Paul being one of them, was really writing to get these people that had found the way, that had discovered the light, to now be able to work the walk. And some of them came dragging philosophies and thinkings from the past. I just mentioned a few moments ago the Hebrews, which were uh, the, the Jews that were, that were reached by the gospel. They were in anticipation of receiving the Messiah. He shows up and some of them believed. But the great debate during the first century, second and third, and even till today, as you track Christianity, uh, was really a circumcision. It was really about keeping the Sabbath. It was really about, you know, what dietary rules should we follow? And all those things were really uh, uh, birthed and, and maintained and nurtured uh, through the, uh, the Jewish tradition, Jewish culture. And yet they carried it through this newfound faith in Christ. That's why when the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling them, you know, there's no one greater than Christ. There's no sacrifice. There's no priest by the order of Melchizedek or anything, no prophet higher than Christ because they were trying to mix both together. Even when you look at the pagan group, those were, or the Gentile group, those that were not Jews per se, but followers of other traditions, including those that worship many other gods, they, they were trying to follow this new way, but still dragging along some of their things from the past. That's where the great, powerful sermon that we find in Scripture about, you know, I'm going to preach to that God that you've labeled over there, the, the unknown God in the high city. Um, uh, it's still there today, the Pantheon. And Paul very astutely preaches from that place because he understood that they were still dragging things all along. And church, oftentimes we come to a gathering like this, but we're bringing baggage that's really from our culture and really from tradition and really an intellectual exercise that has brought us to certain conclusions that don't really align to what the, uh, what the word is telling us and God is, is aligning us to believe. My family came to this church back in the, um, the mid-60s, 1965, and we used to worship on this half of the building only. This building was built around 1974, but the prior building, we owned this building, then we bought that building, and then we joined it together, and now we have this building. But we used to worship here, and we used to go upstairs to the second floor. So don't ever complain about stairs, because we had stairs in that old building going upstairs. The next building will have an elevator, I guarantee you, okay? So we used to gather upstairs, and when we first came in, one of the things that impressed me, I was a kid, and... 1965, came in with my family from a small church. We came here. We were very impacted by the number of people and the number of people that I knew they were, that I didn't know were believers. They were worshiping here. But interesting, our church, like some even today, the women sit on one side and the men sit on another side. Now, there's nothing wrong or right from that, but let's not say that it's biblical. It's simply tradition. 
Today, the Jews, and we, I went not too long, uh, a few years ago to worship at, uh, or to visit, but then it turned out to be a, a powerful service with a group of men from this church that went with me to the Bialystok Shul over here near the park. And it was packed, and all the men were downstairs and all the women were upstairs. That's the way they did it, and that's the way they do it. You know where that comes from? It really comes from a good place, but not a biblical place. It comes from a good place, because not all traditions are bad. And it was simply in the evangelical church, it was thought that if women sat here and men sat here, there would be less temptation. But we all know that it doesn't matter if women sit here and men sit here, temptation is alive and well. But it came from a good place. It wasn't trying to be horrible or bad or whatever. And, but that was informed really by tradition. I mentioned to you a few moments ago the cultural implications of in the Jewish tradition where they, have, they actually have a curtain that separates. That's all. It was, it's, it, well, for the Jews, it, is, it comes from a biblical place, a, a scriptural place. But really in this newfound faith in God, it's different. It, it doesn't really apply. And I can keep going through examples of things that are really uh, 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 tradition or cultural and not really biblically based. And we think that we're facing that only today. No, Paul was confronting that as well back then. One, vis-a-vis -vis this writing that we have in, to Philippians, he's writing to them to let them know, listen, maybe you should put into place what is cultural, even academic. Sometimes we think that if we have the right liturgy and the right songs and the right uh, gospel reading, an Old Testament gospel reading, and if we recite the Apostles' Creed, we'll be able to reach this, heaven, this place of, of spiritual nirvana. But the reality is, people that read the New Testament, Old Testament, the gospel, and recite the Apostles' Creed also sin and fall. But all I'm saying is that oftentimes we equate those things to a higher level of spirituality, to a higher level of walk with God. And we need to get to a place where we Work the walk. Amen. Coming into a relationship with Christ is really an act of faith. The Holy Spirit prompts you when you receive Christ, you realize your sinfulness. It really is an act of faith. But living the life of faith requires work. Come on, for some of you here, I don't have to uh, belabor this point. There are some people in this world that you don't necessarily love in a biblical way. The Bible says we need to be able to give our life. And yes, you say for my family, but not for that person or that other person. Oftentimes, the struggle we have is in living. That's why some people don't tithe. That's why people don't participate in worship. In fact, if you took a snapshot right now of what we do in our liturgy during our worship services, it is not even what the church was practicing in the first century. And certainly, if you're expecting this up there, you're going to be surprised. Because we get caught into the, uh, the moment. And, and church, please, let me, let me be pastoral on this. It isn't that it is bad. No, it isn't. It, was, it comes from a good place. But oftentimes, we have to realize that it is in the doing, not the knowing of Christ. It is in the doing. I think Jason taught us a big lesson. I know now he's with the Lord but I, it, I keep reverberating those ideas that come out of him. It is in the doing. It is in the living. It is what the, has the gospel change made to you. And so Paul is writing from that position to the church in Philippi. And I believe that it applies to us today. Watch the reading with me for a moment. And then I want to share with you 
some insights from this text that hopefully if you apply them today, in fact, let me say it right now, I dare you to try a few of these today. Dare you. I dare you. You're going to see your life change. I'm reading uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. You may, may, may want to mark it, but let me read through this, and then I'll tell you what I've discovered from this text in, in, in uh, Work the Walk. Dear friends, when I was there with you, you were always so careful to follow my instructions. And now that I am away, you must even more carefully do the thing. You know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. That's, that's not in the Bible, but as one of my professors said, maybe it should be there. Because we're in our best behavior when we know so-and-so is coming over. You know, you know, it's true. Somebody's coming over to your house, and you just found out, and all of a sudden, it takes you a month to clean, but in three hours, you're able to clean the whole house because somebody's coming over. Don't elbow your name. You know it's true. Huh? So he's saying here, now I'm away, uh, you, uh, 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 I am away, uh, and now that I am away, you must even more carefully do the thing. So Christ is not with us. He's at the right hand of the Father. So if we needed to behave before, we need to behave now even more as we await his coming. He says that result from being, uh, let me read it again so I won't miss a point. And now that I am away, you must even more carefully do the things that result from being saved and that point there, just to hit it for a moment, is that some fruit, some product needs to come out. Some deliverable needs to come out of us being saved. It can't be the same old, same old. I, I'm afflicted with road raid too, but I keep it in its place. Hallelujah. There's things in life that irk me, like they irk you, but we need to put them in their place place because what's coming out of us should be sprouting from our saved relationship. And that means that we have a faith relationship with God, not with religion. So he says, these good things need to result from being saved, obeying God with deep reverence, shrink, shrinking back from all that might displease him. And I like that term shrinking back. That means it's still there, but you're doing less and less of it every day. Okay? You're letting it die out of your life. There are things that God will resolve immediately and then there's things that take a process for the Holy Spirit to dismantle because we've taken years to put up those barriers. But we need to be working at it, working at it. And it is work. I wish there was an anointing oil or some kind of holy water that we can sprinkle on you and then you'll be perfect. But the reality is we just got to work it. Come on, tell you never work it, work it, work it. You're not born being a great husband or a great wife or a great person. In fact, you're born being nice and then as we live, we get uh, less nice. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got to work it. I wish there was a hocus pocus potion that we can take. Or you can uh, dial 1-800-make-me-perfect.com. <laughs> None of that. You got to work it. And you know what? If you don't work it here, no matter where you go, you've got to work it. Oh, I can't grow in that church. If you can't grow, I, I don't need a church to help me grow. Listen to me carefully. I can grow all by myself. You got it? And sometimes we're waiting for somebody else to do the heavy lifting in our lives. You got, you got the lousy attitude, you got to work on it. You got the negative disposition, you got to work on it. No, you got to pray for me. We'll pray for you, but you got to work at it. Amen. Hallelujah. You, you got me? Yeah. Oh, lay it on somebody else. Look at this. Let me continue the reading. For God is at work within you, helping you, helping you want to obey him, and then helping you do what he wants. 
And that's simply saying that there's a tension and a war, and Paul talks about this in another writing. There's a war inside of us to do good or do wrong. We have to work at it so doing good is what wins in our lives. Not doing wrong. We all have inclinations toward giving somebody a piece of my mind. And you're glad you should be glad you know me now and not before I met the Lord because before I met the Lord, I would have chopped your head off. Come on, get away from that. Uh, is it true? Come on, don't, don't look. Maybe in another church. Not here, right? Let's be holy and sanctified this Sunday. For God is at work within you, helping you. He's helping you, but here's the key. I teach this often. He's not doing it for you. I got a little pain on my back, and, and I have to go to a physical therapist. And this week, I go twice a week. And this week when I went, I looked at him, and I said, I don't like you. He made me learn. I've been, I've been walking all my life. I'm 64 years old. I've been walking all my life. Now he's teaching me how to walk. I've been sitting down just fine. Just fine. And he tells me, you've been sitting wrong. I've been getting up out of the seat all my life. And now he tells me, you're getting up out of your seat wrong. He tells me, walk to that wall and come back. I tell him, what? So my back is achy. You know why? Because there's some muscles back there that I didn't even know I was using wrong. They're awakening. Sometimes you don't even realize what's dormant in your personality, in your character, in the baggage that you carry. And you need someone else to come and make you uncomfortable like the Holy Spirit is doing right now so that you can be right and be healthy. Come on, praise the Lord and say hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. He says, and then helping you to do what he wants, what God wants. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Don't look at your neighbor right now. I'm going to talk, touch that in a moment. So that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full with people who are crooked and stubborn. I love that sentence because it's saying that I need to live clean an innocent life in the middle of darkness. We're waiting for everything to be hunky-dory to then live a clean and wonderful and innocent life. No, he's saying here, even in the middle of chaotic toxicity, even in the middle of problems, we need to live a clean and innocent life. And things are getting bad, church. And I'm not a doom and gloom preacher by no stretch of the imagination. But this summer is very fascinating to me, just looking at nature. I mean, a, a string of hurricanes, uh, earthquake, the fires in, in, in California. I mean, uh, they, I don't think that's just coincidental. The Bible says that in the last days, even nature itself will be screaming out Hallelujah. for redemption. For redemption. So we're living in a pretty tough situation. We really are. Now, I'm, not going to, I'm not here to depress you. I'm here to tell you the truth and then help to guide you out. I like, I like, like I've said before, create chaos, but then open a door of possibilities for us. Uh, people who are crooked and stubborn shine out among them like a beacon light. You don't know that there is light until it is clicked on in the middle of darkness. You don't know. The other day I was walking into one of the rooms, uh, one of the bedrooms in my, in my home, and I didn't realize where the light was until I clicked on the switch. Then I saw the light. Why? Because it was sitting in darkness. 
You need to turn on the light of your life in the middle at work. I would be shocked, and you should be shocked, that your, your fellow workers don't even know your faith walk. Your neighbors don't even know your faith walk. Your family doesn't even know your faith walk. Because we've had the light off and let darkness overwhelm us. We need to penetrate darkness by letting the light, whatever light that is, the flicker of light in your life, to shine. Shine out among them like a beacon, like beacon light, holding out of them the word of life. And this is the key. I want to stop here for a moment because the point of departure for who we are is not the constitution of this church. It isn't the Bible. It isn't the Apostles' Creed. It isn't the, the, the point of departure of who we are stems out of this book. If it isn't in this book, then we don't have an argument in the world to, to, to describe. And I, I read and hear that God is a God of justice a God of doing right by the other person. I believe that God is interested in the orphan and in the widow and in the disenfranchised and in the marginalized. I see that in Scripture. So anything that comes against what I see in Scripture, we have to push back on is my position. and my, It isn't a, 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 a thought that came out of my, my public discourse discussion. Is that in the Scripture, that's what I find that when Scripture tells me that I even have to love those that despise me, I don't need to go to the encyclopedia, blah, 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 to find out that it is true. I don't need another professor word. I don't need to read an extra biblical text. If the Bible says that I need to uh, love and lo love means sacrificially someone that despises me or let me take it home. If, so if the Bible tells me that I need to forgive Hallelujah. then I don't need somebody. I got to go to another conference. No you don't. You got to show up and pray. I'll let the Lord un this uh, unravel you. And my point here is I, re I read broadly and I, and I, and I, I do. And I read stuff that I don't even recommend people read, only for the sake of me understanding and knowing philosophies and all of that and, and thinking. Uh, but at the beginning and at the end of the day is this text. In January, we started a Bible reading program in this church where I gave all of you, all of you, a sheet of paper. We put it on our website as well and it's posted on our Facebook page every single day of the assigned reading for every single day for this year. If you're off track on that reading, you're not serious about maturation. Because you spent a whole lot of time on Facebook. Maybe you should friend God. Let it marinate for a moment. My pause is intentional. Hmm? Either we get on this, the only way to be a better husband, better wife, better son, better daughter, better person. And you say, what version? Pick a version. I love that when people are like, well, what version? Should I read the New International Version and the King James Version? Should I read the NIV? Should I read the message? All of them have falls. Pick one. Make a decision in your life, one. You say, I don't have it. All the, all the bookstores are closed right now in your phone. Come on. Right now. When was the last time you opened it up? Is this too much for you? Uh, we're talking about walking, working the walk. We're talking about what Paul was telling the church in Philippi. It's about time that we get serious about our stuff. Too much is going on. 
Church, that's what I'm talking about. I need to talk to him because I want to be a better husband, a better wife. I need to talk. I need to make an appointment. Make an appointment with the Lord. Sit down. Come to our prayer meetings. Come to the altar of brokenness. Let the Lord start to unravel all the stuff that we've built in in our lives. And I, I believe in counseling. I believe in therapy. I believe in medication. All that is wonderful. Support groups, fantastic. But that can't happen in lieu of. It can't. Men that are here, you're the priest of the home. Be the priest of the home. Be the priest of the home. Lead in prayer. Tell your family, we're going to church today. Amen. What do you think, baby? Should we go to church? The answer is going to be, if you tell somebody, what do you think? Yes? And ladies that are here, and now I'm the, if you're the head of the household, you just dedicate yourself. And do it. This morning there was a slight drizzle, but you came in. Come on, I started out by saying the F train wasn't working, the D train wasn't working, the elevator wasn't working, your shoes were tight, you had the wrong socks on, that there was no toothpaste in the tooth. Oh, I said all oh, that that happened, right? But you came in. Amen. You need to resolve in your life whether we're serious about this or not. Amen. And I'm talking about this walk with the Lord and getting yourself. And I'm not, I'm not here to make everybody here a preacher. That's not, I'm just talking about letting the gospel live out in your life. That's what we're talking about. Let me continue the reading. The word of the Lord needs to be needs to be the starting point of your life. This needs to be the word of the Lord. He says, hold out to them the word of life. Now, for some of you that are real sharp scholars, you will notice in the text there, it says word of life. Why doesn't it say Bible, right? Some of you that are pretty sharp will say that. It doesn't say Bible because the Bible wasn't put together yet. So that's why it says, what it says there, word of life, the, 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 the writings of antiquity, particularly the, the, the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and other extra biblical writings. But you've got to have something cement you. You know how many times when, when, when I go through stuff, and if I can share with you uh, my personal walk with God, you know how many times I cite scriptures that help me through? I don't have time to dial up 1-800-HELP-ME, I'm going through a problem. Or what, when is the next conference of so-and-so coming in? And you quote a scripture, you know, uh, uh, the, the suffering of this time cannot be compared to the glory to come. You need to get one, get one, get one, get one. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Amen. Yes. Uh, go beyond Jesus wept. <laughs> I don't know how that helps you. That's a nice text. But what, is, what am I saying to myself? He's going to weep with me? I need the resurrected Jesus to walk with me. Are you following me? There's too much, too much. Some of you are looking at me real funny. But it's in the text. I want you to work the walk. Work it. Work it. Work it. He says, then when Christ returns, how glad I will be that my work among you was so worthwhile. And if my lifeblood is, so, that, so, so to speak, to be poured out over your faith, which I am offering up to God as a sacrifice. And this is why I use the word work in my theme. Because salvation is to all, for God so loved the world that he gave. God did all the giving. But in living out your faith, it requires sacrifice. I'm going to be announcing in a little while some spiritual disciplines we need to do. Most people don't celebrate. In January, when we announce our fasting and prayer, some people complain. You do it, but you complain. I know very few people that say, I'm salivating not to eat anymore like for six weeks. I can't wait to give up coffee and ice cream. It takes work. It takes work. You know, church, it takes work to be good. To do good. 
When someone hurts you, betrays you, stabs you, it takes work. Supernatural work. It takes work. So he's saying here, sacrifice, I did it for you. And you need to be aware of that. That is, if I, if I am to die for you, then even then, I will be glad and will share my joy with each of you. And then he closes out the text that I want to use here. For you should be happy about this too. And rejoice with me for having this privilege of dying for you. Powerful text. But all that was introduction. Here's what I'm going to talk to you about. First thing is, that I get out of the text that I think applies to us today. You know what? My brothers and sisters, I love you. You know that. But come on, take responsibility of your life. Stop blaming everyone else and take ownership of your public and private actions. When you mess up, run quickly to the altar of, of brokenness and, and confess before the Lord and lo the Lord will allow you to start over again. Oftentimes we have like the scorecard that God doesn't even have. He just loves you. Ridiculous, absurd, scandalous love. He just loves you and wants the best for you. We need to take ownership. When you mess up, it's okay to confess your mess-ups. Be careful who you confess them to. But it's okay to say, I didn't make the mark this, this week. I wasn't, I wasn't in the right place. We all, how, many people, how, how many here know someone? Not you, but you know someone. Not you, but you know someone. Not you, but you know someone that has been off one day or another. Not you. You know somebody. It's okay. I, I'm all here fired up, ready to preach to you. But you know, you're going to not believe this. I also have off days that you don't want to talk to me nor see me. Yes. Yes. Own your actions and stop blaming them on somebody else. You messed up because you wanted to mess up. It isn't because you married the wrong person, you grew up on the wrong side of the track, you didn't have a job, you disabandoned me. But I mean, all those things are wonderful markers in your trajectory of history, but at the end of the day, you have to own your stuff. Take responsibility for your carnality. Take your responsibilities for not having self-control. Take responsibilities. If I buy a donut and I eat a donut, I'm responsible for the calories. I can't blame, I can't believe they should close all Dunkin' Donuts and Krispy Kreme. No, it's you. An angel's not going to come down and knock the donut out of your hand. You just got to say no. Take responsibilities. Tell somebody off. I'm going to give them a piece of their mind. Don't do it. Put the brakes on. Why? If it's not going to help, don't do it. And most of the time when we're giving somebody a piece of our mind, it is not from a helpful place. It's I'm going to, I'm going to win this battle. That's the wrong place. Come on, say hallelujah if you can. Take responsibilities of your public and private actions. Number two, make maturation your goal. I don't live my life. I've never lived it and I don't live it. Although there's sometimes there are bumps along the way, but I never go to the place where I say, oh, it's bad now, tomorrow's going to get worse. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that. Oh, I don't go to the doctors because I don't want them to tell me what they're going to tell me. What are they going to tell you? What are they going to tell you? You know, people tell, oh, when you reach 50 years old, you're going to see your body's going to all fall apart. Oh, please. Wait, 60. What happens at 60? I mean, is it, oh, just wait. <gasps> okay. You almost don't want to have a birthday party. <laughs> 70, that's the number. What are you talking about? There are people that are dream crushers. They really are. You get, you apply for a job, and oh, just wait, the test. Nobody passes that test. 
And you're going to pass the physical looking like that? What, are you kidding me? They don't hire people your age. Stop it. Don't crush my hopes. Please. Get up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, that's bad. I give you permission to exaggerate about yourself in the morning, all right? When you let people define you, they own you. This is what I just said. And I'm not saying get, you know, get all puffed up. You're not the greatest thing since sliced bread, believe me. Sliced bread is much better. You're not the greatest thing. Neither am I. But we have to stop this not having goals in our life. Have a goal in your life. By the time I'm 35 here, I'm, by the time I'm 40 there, have goals in your life. This day is going to be a good day. Don't let the context dictate to you or even your past dictate to you. We let it, you know, you're living in New York. You're not living any longer in the Caribbean. Winter comes in New York. Oh, I, I like it, but when the winter comes, oh, please, what are you expecting in February? 90 degree weather? Coney Island to open up? That would be crazy. Wouldn't it be crazy? It is what it is. And all I'm telling you is this, church. Let's start to make maturation. I'm going to be better than. Regardless of age, I'm going to improve my life. I'm going to learn from past experiences, but I'm going to improve. I'm, I'm going to understand, like I said before about the, the, the prayer taken out of school and even the church sitting on either side. I'm going to learn from those things, whether those things come from, but I'm going to move forward to become better. Maturation needs to become our goal. That happens through transformation. It isn't about growing. It isn't just about knowing. It is about doing. Third thing I, I, I want to apply from this and work, in the, uh, work the walk Take responsibilities, make maturation your goal. But the third one is, listen, stop fighting with God. Please stop fighting with God. And you're looking at me like, what is he talking about? You know very well. When I was still working in private industry, I remember I I told God I got the best plan in the whole world. Listen to this deal. We all do that. We think we know more than God. I'm going to work. My parents taught me how to tithe. The church is going to be happy. This church. Live across the street. Walk to Wall Street. Make all this money. Give money. That is sacrifice. For years battling. But I learned something in my journey. This is very deep. Very, very deep. You ready for this? Very deep. I wrote it down. I want to read it just like I wrote it. So get ready to write it because it's very deep. Tell your neighbor it's very deep. Tell yourself it's very deep. You know why you shouldn't wrestle with God? Shh, this is a secret. Don't tell anybody else. You know why you shouldn't wrestle with God? He always wins. So if God told you, is telling you, don't marry him. Let me leave that because you know where that's going. If the Lord is telling, if you want to move somewhere else, please make sure it's God. Not every job is good for you. Not every career move is the right one. Never mind the money, the prestige, and now five windows. What do you need five windows in your office for? Think about it for a moment. Oh, I have nine staff. You know what it is to have staff working for you? That's a whole set of problems. Hallelujah. Bigger apartment. You don't clean your studio. You think you're going to clean your bigger apartment? 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just love you, so I just... <laughs> Yeah, give me a better job, Lord, because then I'll give. Come on, you don't give. I started tithing. I was making $5 a week slicing salami on 77 Madison Street in a bodega that was there. Slicing salami, $5 a week. I brought tithe. My, and I, the church didn't teach me. My, my mother taught me, my father. I bought 50 cents. I've been a tither. I, was, I must have been about 10 years old, 11 years old. Since I was that age, I've been a tither. If you don't tithe when you're making, when you get the big bucks, I knew, it was, I knew the MMs were going to go on that one, but is the truth. Is the truth. It little becomes much when you place it in the hands of the master. Stop wrestling with God. He always wins. Be obedient to him. Love and dedicate yourself. Don't wrestle with God. Your arms are too short to fight with God. At the end, he's always going to win. And we want to, oh, well, what about this? Stop looking for further confirmations. How many times does God have to tell you no for you to accept No. I'm leaving. You're not leaving. I'm staying. You're not staying. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. No. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. Yes. Whatever God is telling you. Are you following me? We're waiting for the windows of heaven to open. And then James Earl Jones with a thundering voice tell you what your plan is for your life. Read the Bible. Get into prayer. Listen to the voice of God. And God will tell you specifically what you need to do. Stop wrestling with God. Stop fighting with God before he disconnects your hip. <laughs> and then you will be walking with a limp for the rest of your life. Come on, praise the Lord. Give the Lord a clap offering of praise. In that story of the dislocated hip, he limped for the rest of his life. Maybe that's why some of you... Don't wrestle with God. Make maturation your goal. Take responsibilities for your public and private actions. Number four, listen, cease the endless complaining. Stop, stop, stop. Stop complaining. Complaining is, is negativity. It comes from a, a wrong place. Think of possibilities. I, I, I'm highly favored of the Lord. I am the head and not the tail. Now, are there things in life that, that are worthy of complaining? Yes, but complaining is different. What it's talking about here is, rep you know how some people, when they wake up in the morning and they go to sleep, that's all they're doing? Uh, maybe if I had a different last name. Maybe if I didn't drop out of school. Maybe if my parents treated me differently instead of picking my sister or my brother more than me. They favored one of them. I was the least favored. Come on. Maybe if I was taller. Maybe if I was shorter. Stop it. Stop it. Cease the endless complaint. Things will always happen. There needs to come a point where we stop complaining and we start moving forward. I want to tell you a secret. I, I, I'm a, one of those people that devour the news and I like staying up to date on current events. And I realized a while back that I was having trouble sleeping at night. And then I discovered that the last 15 minutes of my day, usually, I would listen to the news. Sometimes that's the worst thing you can do. And I didn't realize that subconsciously there was uh, messages being etched in my psyche. We all have a psyche. And we all dream, you know, you all, we all dream. So I must have been dreaming about how to fix America's problems. <laughs> so you know what I did? I stopped watching it. Or I watch it less, I should say, because you still have to be in current events. And I didn't let it, oh, I watch it earlier in the day. And what I discovered, too, the news doesn't change that much hour per hour. If it's fluff, it's fluff. If it's real, it's real. You following me? And church, we need to get to a place where we stop complaining. They always favor somebody else. Listen, your name, 
And think about this for a moment. Whenever we say, I'll go to church and you know, can't find parking, can't find it, because they always favor somebody else. Wait, 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 wait. Let me bust that right now. Because there's no higher place than this. Watch this. The Bible says, your name is etched in the palm of his hand. So if your name is not on a seat or you don't get the preferred whatever you think, stop complaining, please. Come and serve the Lord and seek your own encouragement rather than it latched on to somebody else. We have this endless cycle of complaining. And you know, sometimes we even complain about ourselves. Boy, I'm looking, I'm getting a lot tired. I'm feeling older. I'm feeling, you know, more, more wrinkled. Whatever it might be, stop it. You know what? God knows the day when you're going to go home. He knows the day when I'm going to go home too. I'm not interested in knowing. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. But I'm not interested in knowing. You know what? I want to live today the fullest I can. And I'm planning on living tomorrow the fullest I can. And the day after that, and the day after that. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering of praise. Cease the endless complaining. The next observation that I have on work the walk is stop following the crowd. Oftentimes we jump because people are jumping. We believe because people are believing some program, something. Listen, stop following the crowd. Be a critical thinker. Think for yourself. Research things on your own. Find out for yourself. Make decisions prayerfully in your own life. Don't jump because some other people are, are jumping. Amen. We have to be careful, church, because we're living in a time where, we, where what the crowd does is what we're going to do. Why are we protesting? I don't know. People are protesting. Okay. <laughs> Think things through. Get yourself as much information as you can. Make a thoughtful decision and stop following the crowd. I've told you the story so many times when I was in the seventh grade. Yes, some of the new ones are not going to believe this, but I got suspended from school. I know that's hard to believe, you know, but I did. Seventh grade. Honestly did nothing, but I was hanging around with the wrong crowd. Honestly did nothing. And I can still hear my mother's screeching cries when she found out that me got kicked out of school for a weekend, the worst weekend of my life. Because I, I could hear my mother's cry. You know what? Stop following the crowd. Be your own you. You're the best you God ever created. And there's times when you need to follow after someone. I'm not saying everyone, don't. you have to be a follower of Christ and follower of, of wholesome uh, leadership with integrity, but be careful. Just because all your, 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 your buddies at work are going out for a drinking thing and uh, whatever it's going to be, be careful. Just be careful. Just be careful. You don't have to follow the people around you. And they say, oh, you don't want to hang out with us anymore? You're better than us? Leave it alone. Don't even answer that question. Let them believe that you think you're better than them. Don't answer the question. Just leave it alone. Why? Why do you have to do it? Oh, because I want to be part. Why? Then there's a psychological deficiency in you if you feel you need to be actualized because of somebody else's actions. If I'm, I'm going to convince myself subconsciously that I am better because I'm hanging out with that crowd, then the problem is not the crowd. The problem is me, my feeling of insufficiency and guilt that I'm actualizing through them to be something that God didn't make me to be. Did you follow me on that one? And I refuse to be somebody else's puppet. I'm going to own my own stuff. Are you following me? I'll give you an example of that. Right now, the biggest phase in churches, particularly evangelical churches, is pastors. Some leaders are convinced that if they don't wear a tie on Sunday and they don't wear socks on Sunday and they wear jeans on Sunday, that people will come. Listen, if you're a bad preacher with a suit on, you're probably a bad preacher without a tie on. If you're an inconsistent leader before, the suit doesn't make the leader. There's no anointing in the tie. 
just so you get the message. But what happens, because some are doing it. I like wearing my suit on Sunday. And my wife and my family like it too. Can you imagine if I came up here next Sunday and I have shorts on, flip-flops on, and I have a tank top, what they call them, wife beaters, right? So you can see my muscles. I said, let me preach about a new creation in Christ. You'd laugh at me. You'd laugh at me. You know you'd laugh at me. If you're unrighteous, all the makeup in the world could not make you righteous. If you don't have integrity, but we follow the crowd. Easy way to, today when you get out, look up at nothing. Watch at the end of the service how many people look up with you. <laughs> don't follow the crowd. Be your you. Be the best you you could be. One of the things I tell the pastors, we have a wonderful pastoral team, wonderful pastoral team, and yeah, let's, let's acknowledge them today. I don't, need, I don't need a duplication of me. If I wanted a duplication of me, I'd put a lot of mirrors here so I could see me. <laughs> no, everybody's unique. You have a unique flavor. Preaching has to come from a biblical perspective, but everybody has their own temperament. It's no, no mystery that I, I preach differently than Pastor Ralph, than Pastor E, than Pastor Fernando, than Pastor Carmen, than Pastor Veraldo, than Pastor Ina. I just preach different than Pastor VG. Right? I just do. They need, you need, God wants to hear your voice. See you. See you. Come on, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Stop following the crowd. My next to last um, observation and work and work uh, work the walk. I talked about take responsibility, make maturation your goal, don't wrestle with God, cease the endless complaining, stop following the crowd. The next one is hold firm to the truth you have you have received. Listen, no one has ownership on truth. Truth resides only in the deity. And what that means is that all truth presented to us to the level that we can understand is simply that, an incarnation of the total truth that is found only in God and reserved for a display when we get to eternity. What I just said there is that simply what we have now is simply a glimpse of truth. Absolute and total truth will be revealed to us when we leave this life and enter into the next. Okay? But that doesn't mean you don't have some level or fragment of truth. Example, when I was a young kid growing up in the Lower East Side, lived on Pitt Street, I ended up having asthma. You've heard my story, and I was hospitalized. Doctors couldn't uh, heal me. They couldn't cure me. One night, I went to sleep woke up the, and woke up the next morning singing a little song that we sing here in the church that I learned in children's church, because I was a little boy then, and I, and I woke up totally healed. So the truth is, that it wasn't Gouverneur that saved me, and that was the old Gouverneur. It wasn't this doctor, that pediatrician, or whatever it might be. My mom was so desperate, she even took me in her own innocence. She took me to someone that did home remedies in their house. And the home remedy that they did is they took a piece of cactus, and they did my, my foot imprint on the piece of cactus, and then she told my mother, hang it on the wall, and his asthma will go away. Well, you know what? The cactus dried up, but not my asthma. <laughs> It was that day, I remember going to sleep, woke up singing a song. My mother had prayed for me before she had, she's a new believer in the Lord during that period. Woke up in the middle, told, and till this day, I have not had a problem with my respiratory system. Right, wait, wait. But who did that, Pastor Ralph? Who did that? 30 years of what he, you heard his testimony. That wasn't this or that. 
Doctors can take credit. Let them take credit for it. But it was really the intervention of God, and that's truth. So get back to that place of truth where you were bound and now you're free, where you were lost and now you're found. That moment in your life where nothing made sense, nothing worked out. It seemed like your life was going downhill all the way, but something happened that day. Something clicked in your brain. You were given a glimmer of truth that released deliverance into your life, and today you're standing, and today you can declare, I don't know where he comes from. I can't even explain his philosophy. But I know this, that I was blind, but now I see. That's what I'm talking about. Don't try and defend, don't try and defend theology and religious exercise. Don't try and defend the church. The Bible says that God himself will build his church. So he's going to defend it. You don't have, oh, but people in church are hypocrite. Okay, fine. Let's move on. What's your situation right now? I can't trust anybody in church. I have injuries. Okay, you have injuries. Can, do we, are we going to stay there? Or do we move on? Well, I don't trust it. I don't trust people in church. Well, let me ask you this question. Who do you trust? You probably don't trust mama, papa, husband, wife, a system, nothing. Everything is a question. There comes to be a, a point in our lives where you, we just need to let those things go and move forward and start to hold firm on the things that we know. I know for a fact I suffered asthma. I know for a fact God healed my body. I know for a fact I can breathe well today. And that wasn't this or that. That was simply God showing up miraculously in a little boy in his bed. And God healed him. Like so many of you here today. Don't let people dilute the power of God in your life. Don't give credit to the church. Don't give credit to me or to what we do here. Give credit to where credit is due. It was God in your life. You didn't lose your mind because God healed you. Your marriage wasn't destroyed because God intervened. Your children were brought back because God rescued them. You were brought out of darkness into light because the Lord showed up in your life. Stay with the truth. Stay with the truth. And be bold about it. Don't excuse it away. Some of you sitting here, you were delivered from addictions. It wasn't a 12-step program. It was a one-step program. A one-step that required you getting out of your seat, walking down the aisle, and one step accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the chains were broken and destroyed from your life. Hallelujah. You didn't go crazy because of the support group. No, you went to the support group. But it was that day that you came to the altar and you said, Lord, come into my life because I can't sleep. I can't work with this depression. I can't move forward. And the Lord miraculously healed you. Stay with the truth. Testify the truth. Shout it from the mountaintops. Hallelujah. That it was the Lord. That it was Christ. This church, it wasn't a denomination. We own this building. God gave us this gift. It wasn't because we were smart. We were smart, but that wasn't it. It wasn't because we had ingenuity. We had ingenuity, but it wasn't that. It was simply that God had a plan of the truth. God had a plan over this church in this place, and we needed to be standing here today, this very day. For what is unfolding as far as gentrification and contextual change in our community and in our city. Lower East Side is a microcosm of what's going on throughout the city. And let me go further. It's a microcosm of what's going on in the city, but it's also in all urban settings throughout our nation. There is a reason why God did what he did, and it's all based on truth. That means that God shed truth into the heart of our founding pastor, Pablo Rodriguez, when he was out there in a mountain in Puerto Rico. God spoke to him, told him, come to New York, start a church, call it primitive in Spanish, primitiva. And from there, God's going to do mighty things. Here we are today, 64 years later, seeing the light of God in this place. There's no hocus pocus. There was no benefactor. It was simply God was more than good to us. And the truth is that he showed up in this place. And you know what? He still hangs out here. Praise the Lord for that as well. 
Hold firm to the truth you have received. Don't let anybody delude it for you. You know what happens? Sometimes we want to debate our theology. Don't debate it. You do a lousy. Some of you don't even know where you come from. You know, I, I did that DNA testing. Have you ever done that DNA testing? Yeah? Right? I'm thinking I'm going to see how much, I want to know how, how Puerto Rican I am. Turns out that I am. <laughs> that I am. Some of us can't even go back. Some of you here. I mean, uh, let me use myself as an example. It's not you. I, I, don't, I don't remember my, my, my father's parents. But that doesn't make me. The truth is I'm alive. Are you following me? So I don't need that historical info. I really don't know. I don't even have photos of them. Remember, I'm the 11th of 12. So that's way back. That's like the 17th century when they discovered America back then. <laughs> but if I want to prove truth, by that I'm going to fail. But the reality is I'm here. Look. Tangible. You're here because God intervened. Yeah. You might not remember the message, the preaching, the song, the word, the prayer, somebody, whatever. But you know that there's something took place in your life that was cathartic. It changed your path. It was a turning point in your journey. Stay there. Stay there. Don't try and defend church and, and, and churches. Just stay with your own testimony. Hold firm to the truth you have received. And finally, church, and, and, and work in the walk. And, I, and Pastor Ralph started us on this, and, and I'm just going to hit on that again. If you notice the last part of the text, Paul says, For you should be happy about this too, and rejoice with me for having this privilege of dying for you. The, the operative words there are be happy and rejoice. Church, let's rejoice in the Lord always. Let's praise him in the good times, in the bad times. Let's praise him when we're surrounded by light, but also when darkness is our companion. Let's praise him when... Things are going real well, but even when there's a bump in the road. In fact, I'm going to go further. Let's praise them when we feel like it, but also even praise them when we don't feel like it. There's a song in Spanish that roughly translates that. It says that it's easy to sing when things are fine, but when you're going through stuff, that's the time you need to praise. And church, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you, my friends that are here, make sure that there's a happy song in your life. And, and sing hallelujah as you're, as you're, when you're going to work and you're in the subway. And I know, I know, people are going to think you're crazy. They already know you're crazy. So <laughs> praise him. Live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord. You didn't get that job. You didn't get that wife. You didn't get that. I constantly pray, pray and thank God for my family, for my wife, for this church. Thanking God every single day. He said, well, how long? While I'm here on earth, I want to thank God. Amen. I thank God for the health that I have today. And if there's a bump along the road, I'm going to thank God because he's going to see me through. I know that I'm never alone, that no matter what I go through, he's going to be by my side. I don't, leave, I don't li live a life as an abandoned individual. I'm not abandoned at all. He is by my side. I may not like what is unfolding. I may be confused by the circumstances around me, but I know for sure that God is by our side. Church, I'm going to say, take it even further. This church, we are not alone. It seems like that drastic change is happening down here, and they're going to accelerate even more. Even more. Even more, churches shutting down, downsizing, a word. Whoever thought of using a, a business term like downsizing to talk about a church ministry? That doesn't even make any kind of sense. But that's where we are. But God has been good to us. 
And, and you might say, but why us? I don't know. We're just crazy, obedient people. It isn't that we're better than anyone. I'm not projecting that theme at all. No, on the contrary. But one thing we know how to do is to bend our knees and kiss the feet of Jesus and give him the glory for what he has done and what he will do. Hallelujah. Come on, praise the Lord with me. That's what it's about in this house. That's what it's about in this house. And I want to encourage you. I know you're going through your marriage, your kids, your health. It seems like there's no end to one after the other. In fact, it looks like we're going out of one situation and into another dire situation. But I firmly believe that Christ is on his throne. I firmly believe that he has the best for us yet. I firmly believe that God's not over and changing us and transforming us. I, I firmly believe that God is not done in lifting us up out of the mud and mire that we've created. I firmly believe that God wants to forgive us of the mistakes and the blow-ups that we have done in the past. I, I firmly believe that God has the best in mind for every single one of us here. God is not a God about negativity. He's a God about incredible possibilities, such possibilities that you and I, our mind can't even fathom how wide his love is and how compassionate he is for our lives and how high he wants to take us and how far he wants to walk with us. And you say, yes, but you don't know what I've done. Listen, I don't know. I don't want to know. But God has decided to forgive what you have done and given you a clean lease in life today. And you say, yeah, but pastor, there's no, I'm not going to amount to much because time has passed by. God is eternal. And this eternal God is used to stepping into time and making time seem like it's eternal. That what you think you lost, he will allow you to recover and start over again. He is a God of second chances, a God of third chances, a God that goes after the broken and the forgotten, a God that will rescue that person that seems that they can't be rescued, a God that has, goes after the people that have said, I don't want any more to do with you. That's the kind of God that we serve. Come on, to stand up in this place. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. Work the walk. It's hard work, but you can do it. The Holy Spirit along your side, he can help you make it through. Don't give up. Don't get, if you give up, huh, if you give up, your whole family is going to be impacted. Pastor E and I live with that conviction. If we give up, we're not, we don't talk giving up. But if there was ever a scenario that would precipitate giving up, we know that it's going to affect a whole slew of people behind us. So we're going to hold on to the hand of the master even if we don't understand. You ever been there with me? That place where you don't understand why this medical report, why this chaos in my house, why these recurring dreams, why am I thinking these things? I thought this was resolved. You ever had a, a, a box open up all of a sudden in your life? You had it neatly packed away. There were no problems. Years, it wasn't tormenting you. Then all of a sudden, something happens, and it clicks, and it comes out like a flood. I'm here to tell you that God is in the business of helping you get through that situation. Hallelujah. You feel alluring back to addiction, alluring back to your old life. Don't do it. 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 The plans that God has over your life are powerful. They're beyond human comprehension. That God will look into the rejected, the broken, the disenfranchised, and from there, select people that he wants to use for what he's going to do. Stop disqualifying yourself. Oh, let me speak into your heart today. Stop disqualifying yourself. God is awesome. He's a great God. He's a healing God. He's a restoring God. He's a God. Look at this. Look at this. God decides. He decides in his own cosmic eternal existence, which we don't understand because we're finite in the way we think. But in his own eternal cosmic existence, in other words, in his sovereignness and is satisfied within himself, God decides in that realm that you and I can't get it. He decides in that cosmic deity sense of eternalism that is not subject to time. God decides in there to forget your past, forget my mistakes, and let us start over again. 
You know, in God's memory, there are no scars of the injuries you brought to his heart. No scars. No scars. He lets you start off like if it was the very first day. I want to encourage you today. You got off track. You may want to start making your way on up because I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this place. I feel that, that, that opportunity you've been waiting for. Just step out of your seat. I want to pray with you, but just come, come. Start over again. Give him another chance. There's another opportunity for your home, for yourself. You need to walk with the Lord. Don't wash your hands and say it's over. No, 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 there's a new beginning. You say, Pastor, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You're right, and we don't. But God does. And if God decides to forgive, how can we not forgive? God decides to give you another opportunity. How can we not give you an opportunity? Walk it. Work at it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. I want to speak prophetically into your life today. That word that you heard in your life, years ago, is still active today. The Lord has not forgotten. That has not gone astray. God was serious when he spoke to you. And you say, Pastor, but a lot of years have gone by. Relationships. I'd sidetrack here and there. That word still stands. Can you believe God for that? Can you believe the Lord for that? Can you trust him to straighten out that crooked path? Can you just trust him that he will begin to reassemble your thinking and your heart and your life? And the mess that has been made, God will start to clean, to make right, to straighten out. Let every head be bowed and every eye closed.